Welcome to Heritage Fellowship's Sermon of the Week. We hope you're encouraged and challenged as we study the Word of God together. Do you know why I'm here today? <laughs> I was more of like an intro into a soft story to get into a difficult topic, but I don't know, maybe we should start there. Why are you here today? I'm here because several months ago I was going for a drive, I had the kids in the car, and um, you know, we were, I was trucking right along, driving, seatbelt, speed limit, safe. Um, I don't really remember where I was, but Victoria looks at me and says, Dad, where are you going? And it occurred to me in that moment that not only was I not exactly sure where I was, I didn't know where I was going. And it wasn't like a TIA. I mean, it was like a mini stroke. I just was kind of on autopilot. One of the sad moments in my life is to this day, I still don't know where I was going. (laughs) Don't have a clue, but I'm fairly convinced I would have either ran out of gas or gotten there or still be going there. So I'm here today. Because my daughter, somewhere between love, concern, and curiosity, said to me, where exactly are we going? She makes me wonder how many places she thought we were going that I missed the turn for. Uh, It makes me wonder why my wife didn't say to me, you've missed four turns. We were headed to the grocery store. It was five miles back. But Victoria, a child shall lead them. So where are you going? And, And this is a difficult topic, right? True and false disciples. In the NIV, it's just false disciples. And, I mean, on one hand, we don't like that very much. But consider the alternative, which is just being in your car, driving somewhere, feeling quite good about yourself, knowing you were accomplishing a lot, having no idea where you're going. And let me just say to you, the worst time to figure out that you don't know where you're going is when you get there. Could you imagine my surprise when I got wherever it is I thought I was going, got out of my car, looked around, and said, where is everybody? And Jesus, not from a place of judgment, but from a place of love, (laughs) brings us this teaching to say to us, before we get where we're going, do you know where you're going? And I would just say to you that my heart toward myself and my family and all of us and all of you online is just simply to come and bring this teaching that Jesus brought several thousand years ago, which is like, are you really going where you think you're going? Because if you're not, there's no time like now to find out. So this is a message very much for us personally, but I want to read a story to you. As a result of poor planning, a young fellow from Texas needed some dry cleaning done before he left on a business trip, and he needed it done right away. And he remembered there was this store across town with this huge sign, One Hour Dry Cleaners. It was on the other side of the town, but he needed it done, and he was leaving in just a couple hours, so he drove out of his way to drop off his suit. And after filling out the tag, he told the clerk, now I need this back in an hour. Well, she said, I can't get it back till next Thursday. 
He said, I thought you said that this place did one-hour dry cleaning. Oh, no, she said. That's just the name on the store. (laughs) Those of us who carry the name Christian but fail to act like the one whose name we bear create confusion and disillusionment for those who have yet to believe. Knowing that we're going where we think we're going is very much about our eternal destination and salvation, but it has a very direct implication for those in our world. Because if we're not careful, they will either follow us to the wrong place or decide that we are so confused in our message and our action that they don't want any part of that. Francis Bacon, the father of the scientific method, not the father of the yummy breakfast food. Francis Bacon. It's not what we eat, but what we digest that makes us strong. Not what we gain, but what we save that makes us rich. Not what we read, but what we remember that makes us learned. And not what we profess, but what we practice that gives us integrity. Father, we come before you, having spent time in worship, asking you just to come and to be the refiner's fire. And so now we step into a time of teaching, your teaching, learning your word, and saying, continue the work that you have been doing this morning. Refine us into the very truest disciples that you have called us to be. So we're in Jesus' closing on the Sermon on the Mount. We are are spending some weeks as he begins to draw this epic teaching to a conclusion. A couple of weeks ago, we talked about two gates and two roads, and then last week was two kinds of prophets, and this week, two kinds of disciples, and then next week, we'll talk about two different foundations. And as I mentioned last week, though these verses are often sectioned off into their unique little entities... There is very much a flow from one to the other. And so so what we talked about two weeks ago and what we talked about last week really sets the stage for this week. And what we're talking about this week sets the stage for next week. And it's just so important that we see that cohesive flow of the Spirit and the cohesive flow of Jesus' teaching as we go through this. Which practically means if, if you're uh, here this morning or you're online this morning and, and you didn't tune in last week, haven't caught last week or the week before, then I would really encourage you to go back to the archive, the live stream archive on Vimeo or Facebook Live and watch that. We also have those available as podcasting resources. And, and so it's really important that you stay in that flow so that you're, you're seeing the building of what's happening here. You know, and last week we talked about the, the underlying theme uh, that, that Jesus came and, and, and was bringing about the choice and the eternal significance of that. Because in this flow, that's a theme that weaves through there. And this morning as we start, I want to bring out another theme that I see woven in there. And it's the, it's the theme of Christology. It's a Christologic teaching. And what is that? Simply put, as the dictionary would say, Christology is the branch of Christian theology relating to the person, nature, and role of Christ. See, Christ is a title, meaning the anointed one, and it referred to the Messiah or to the Son of God. 
I won't ask for a show of hands how many people either previously or maybe this morning felt like Christ was Jesus' last name. Previously, not now, just to be clear. But, but Christ is a, is a title given to Jesus that has a significant prophetic destiny and meaning behind it. And so when we say that Jesus is the Christ, it means that he is the anointed one, that he is the son of God, that he is the Messiah, that he is the long-awaited one that the children of Israel longed for. And he came and he's there. It, it, is, it means so much to say that he is the Christ. It is a... Uh, it is a title given to God, the Son of God, the Messiah sent to take away the sin of the world. And see, there's this false teaching that's out there. I think it's been out there for a very long time, and it is, it is very prevalent in our culture today that says that Jesus really never claimed to be God, that says that... that, that um, that somehow he was just a good man. And see, there's this desire to believe in a historical Jesus as a good man and a great teacher, maybe even a prophet, but somehow to try to lower him below the divine. Because see, if we can make Jesus just good and not God, then we can choose to what we want to do with what he said. And it's what we said last week. There's an authority that comes in Jesus' teaching because he is who he said he was. But yet somehow... Um, People would try to read the Bible and, and go, well, you know, Jesus never claimed to be God. And if, if this thought process is new to you, then I would just encourage you that there are people in your world that are hearing this, perhaps even believing this, and it's not true. And so when I say that there's a Christologic message in this passage, what I'm saying to you is when we read the meaning of Jesus' words, we will read in there a very definite claim that Jesus makes as the Christ. So why do I say that? One, because it's important. Two, because it's there. And these statements are not some subtle hidden thing that requires years of, of, of study of Greek to figure out. For instance, Jesus, in, and not just where we are, the passage this morning, but this whole, this whole conclusion, Jesus is making the claim. He's taking what would be a divine prerogative to know the inner recesses of a person's heart. See, the whole teaching on the Sermon on the Mount, he's talking about it's not about the outside, it's about the inside. It's not about the outside, it's about the inside. But only God would know what's on the inside of the heart. And Jesus is saying, I know what's on the inside of your heart. It doesn't take a rocket scientist to figure out that he's saying, I have an ability that only God has. And he also not only says, I know what's there, but he's placing himself as the one with the authority to determine who enters the kingdom and who doesn't. Jesus is saying, people will come, and I will say either you will spend eternity with me in heaven or you will not. He is standing in the position of the righteous judge of humanity. That is a place that only God can stand. And if you were there, really listening to what Jesus had to say, it would be one of those moments that you would punch your buddy and go, did he really just say what I think he said? And your buddy would look back at you 
And he would look at you with one of three responses. Either it's like, uh, I wasn't paying attention. A place of, and totally didn't get it. Or a place that says, I totally got it. And it would be this place of totally in awe of like, yeah, he just said what you think he said. And it means what you think it means. <sighs> or, oh, he just said what they, it's on now. You're either going to stand up and fight or you're going to bow down and worship. So when Jesus is saying these things, when he says, for the first time in Matthew, when, when he says this, and, he's, and he says it in our, in our passage for today, but only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. When he's claiming to be the Son of God, He's claiming to be the one that knows what's happening in your heart and claiming to be the one that can judge the eternal destination based on what he sees in your heart. Jesus is making a Christologic claim without a doubt. If this is all you had of the Bible, you would know that Jesus knew who he was. And it is a requirement then that we do something with that. So my friends, you can choose to say, I don't believe who Jesus is, but there is just no place of saying, well, Jesus didn't know who he was. He very much knew who he was. And we are faced with a choice of what are we going to do with it. Matthew chapter 7, verses 21 through 23. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and in your name perform any miracles? Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. And I don't know about you, but that's a bit daunting. That's a bit overwhelming. That's not gonna make it into a Christmas card anytime soon. Merry Christmas from the Mosses. I don't know. I mean, if we sent out Christmas cards, it probably would do that. As soon as my wife figures out that cricket, we might just do, put that on there and some stuff. I don't know about you, but these are not particularly comfortable questions that we like to ask other people. And we don't like to be asked by other people. And quite honestly, we don't like to think of them ourselves. We just like to sit comfortably in our car, driving along in our air conditioned, going exactly who knows where. Because we start asking ourselves some very difficult questions. How do I know that I am saved? How can I be sure? What do I need to do or say? Can I lose my salvation? Can I get it back? I mean, seriously, can I know for sure that on that day, I get to be with Jesus? And I just want to say to you, these questions and the answers to them must drive us further into Jesus and not further into ourselves. These questions must be asked and answered, but the asking and the answering of them must drive us head first into Jesus and not retreating into ourselves.
See, Jesus' teaching is not meant to leave us wondering and questioning and and insecure and worried. But we're also not meant to be blind and deceived. And we also must look at the entirety of Scripture and the message of Jesus as a whole. And so I've picked just nine passages. You'll have them in your notes. These are the... um, The references, you'll see those online as well in the keynote that shows up. You'll also see those in the comments. Don't don't try to look them all up. I wrote them down for you, but I just want to read this over us. Ephesians chapter 3, verse 12. In Jesus and through faith in Him, we may approach God with freedom and confidence. Hebrews 14, or 4, 14 through 16. Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has ascended into heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weakness, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. So let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Ephesians 2.8, For it is by grace that you have been saved through faith. This is not from yourself. It is the gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast. For we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works which God prepared in advance for us to do. And see, James said, do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourself. Do what it says. But then in Romans 8.38, Paul says, For I am convinced that neither death nor life nor angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. And John says, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life for God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world but to save the world through him for God so loved the world that he gave that whoever believes and then in Luke 9 Jesus says this Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross daily and follow me. Whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will save it. Then back in John 15, Jesus says, I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Now remain in my love. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in His love. In 1 John 2, we know that we have come to Him if we keep His commands. We know that we have come to know Him if we keep His commands. Whoever says, I know Him, but does not do what He commands is a liar, and the truth is not in that person. But if anyone obeys his word, love for God is truly made complete in them. This is how we know we are in him. Whoever claims to live in him must live as Jesus lived. Every single one of those is the truth. 
At times, it seems like a truth intention. How, how can it be that we just have to have faith and believe and it's not of works, but yet at the same time, if we have faith and believe, there's gonna be works. We're, we're called to listen and obey. Yet, yet somehow, it's not just about what I do, it's about who I, how, how does all of that work? It is one cohesive truth and we have to read all of it to begin to wrap our spirits best we can, empowered by the Holy Spirit, to see the truth that, that Jesus is bringing forth in this teaching here. A.W. Tozer, you'll see this at the bottom of your notes, said it this way. The Bible recognizes no faith that does not lead to obedience, nor does it recognize any obedience that does not spring forth from faith. The two are opposite sides of the same coin. And so as we're diving into this, we have to keep a complete full view of the message of the cross. God is good, and God is love, and God is just, and God is holy, and God is righteous. And we have to be careful how we say that. It's not God is good, God is love, but God is just, but God is holy, because that somehow would put into opposition the goodness of God and the holiness of God. And they're not opposed to each other. The the truth intention, the intention part, is our inability to completely understand it. Not that we're trying to compete for who's more true. This is all truth. This is the fullness of truth that is here. So when I say that it's two sides of one coin, it is one truth. It's not Jesus talking out of both sides of his mouth. There's not some sort of divine confusion here. We're not waiting for James and Paul and Jesus and Peter uh, to to somehow uh, to, to fight it out to see who's right. They're all explaining a truth that our mind has a limited ability to understand. But in Jesus, in our spirits, we know that it's truth. And so it's not that God is love, but God is just. And somehow we have to come to terms with it. No, God is love and God is just. And that truth is not dependent on my ability to understand it. I'm very grateful that the truth of the world is not dependent on my ability to understand. I have a very limited ability to understand. I don't understand gravity. And if if, if the truth of gravity were dependent on my ability to understand it, we would all be floating right now. And if my ability to explain to you the truth that I just read to you in its fullness, if somehow the truth of that was dependent on my ability to explain it, we would all be in a world of hurt. But it is as true as true gets that God is good, and God is love, and God is holy, and God is just, and God is righteous, and God. He's all of those things. Just, just, just let that blow your mind for a moment. So not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father. Many will say to me on that day, but Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and in your name perform miracles? And then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. Lord, Lord, it means might and strong and supreme and authoritative. It describes one having absolute legal power, thus the one who is the master and possessor. The king, the boss, the owner, the end. There's no one higher. When, Lord. It signifies a sovereign power and an absolute authority. It's important. And, and early on in Jesus' ministry, early on, I don't, I don't think that all of the disciples and certainly not all the followers understood the complete significance of what it would mean to say, Lord, Lord. 
Matthew, by the time he wrote this, certainly did. And we, as we listen to this, definitely do. But I want to be super clear about this. Accurately knowing who Jesus was, accurately knowing who Jesus is, is not enough. It's not enough to know that he's the Lord. It's not enough to verbalize that he's the Lord. It's not enough to, in a crowd of people, stand up and say it twice, real loud. We are not justified simply through this confession, no matter how bold or loud or public. We're not justified based on our knowing the truth that he is the Lord. We have to live the truth that he is our Lord. It's really important because these people came and they knew who Jesus was. Hey, news for you. The demonic world knows who Jesus is. Those people who are stated enemies of the gospel and the cause of Christ and the life of Jesus, they know who he was. I'm just going to say, if they didn't know who he was, they wouldn't get so bent out of shape over it. And that was true in Jesus' day, and it's true in our day. Simply knowing who he is is not enough. Because, see, if he is our Lord, our sovereign power, our absolute authority, then there will certainly be changes in who we are and what we do. See, that's the difference between knowing he is the Lord and knowing he is our Lord. What's the difference? He has the absolute authority and power. It's what do I do with that? In this moment, do I bow my knee and give myself to him and acknowledge that and then transformed by it? Acknowledging it in a way that I'm transformed by it. Acknowledging it isn't enough. The acknowledging in a way that I'm transformed by it. See, that's what matters. Those that crucified Jesus knew who he was. Enemies of the gospel of Christ today know who he is. But they've not bowed their knee yet. Those who enter the kingdom of heaven are only those who do the will of the Father. And we are unable to do the will of the Father unless we have bowed our knee and acknowledged Him and follow Him as our Lord. What's this will of the Father? Because it's interesting, because the people who knew who Jesus was and did a lot of things for him. We cast out demons, and we prophesied, and, we, and you fill in the blank. You can make it today. We held rallies, and we sang songs, and we published books, and we raised money, and we donated to all the right political people, and we voted all the right. In your name, Jesus, we did all the stuff. We did it all in your name. And Jesus says to them, I don't know you. Get out of here. You've not done the will of the Father. Just knowing who Jesus is, just doing all the right things is not enough. I'm going to read some long quotes to you. Sorry. There's a medium one and then a long one. 
It's in the keynote. It'll be up here. You can find it online. Try not to write it all down. Take a picture, but just absorb it in this moment. The will of the Father. This does not mean simply to obey the Old Testament law as God's will. The will of the Father means obedience to the call to the kingdom of heaven that will result in true righteousness. Obedience to the call to the kingdom of heaven that results in true righteousness. See, Jesus is the fulfillment of the Old Testament. He is the ultimate example of the Father's will obeyed. To follow His example in discipleship and become like Him will enable His disciples to do God's will on a daily basis. What is the will of the Father? To, in obedience to the call to the kingdom of heaven, become like Jesus in a way that sees an inward, true righteousness develop. Now, second quote. Some might conclude then that the will of the Father involves nothing more than being engaged in a relationship with Jesus so as to be known and recognized by Him. Some people would say, okay, so all I need to do is just be in a relationship with Jesus. Just know Him. Just sit with Him. Know who He is as Lord. Call Him Lord. Just, just be in that relationship. Let me just read it as a quote. Some people conclude then the will of the Father in heaven involves nothing more than, involves nothing more than being engaged in a relationship with Jesus so as to be known and recognized by Him when calling Him as Lord. Anyone who might draw that conclusion after reading through the full Sermon on the Mount has not been paying attention. That's pretty bold. If the point is a relational one, then the transformational nature of the relationship must be emphasized. So I want you to hear real clear what I'm reading to you. I'm not saying that it's wrong to just sit and be in relationship with Jesus. But if we're really in relationship with the real Jesus, that relationship has to be transformational. You, 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 cannot, you cannot sit at Jesus' feet and declare Him Lord and bow your knee and walk in a relationship with Him for any time at all without being transformed. It is Transformational. So the transformational nature of the relationship must be emphasized. Jesus, after all, is the one who said, be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. Just being in relationship, just saying, Lord, Lord, is not enough. Just knowing God's purpose, just prophesying God's purpose, and acting upon it, casting out demons and and doing other deeds of power, that's not enough either. See, entering the kingdom of heaven is clearly a both-and proposition. It is doing God's will, not simply because you know Jesus' name, but here it comes, but because knowing and being known by Him have transformed your will by bringing it into accord with God's will. I know that's a lot to digest, I just sat and cried for a while when I read it. You're welcome to do the same. Because 
We ask ourselves these questions. How do I know I'm saved? And we want to say the right things and we want to do the right things and we want to look at all the things and really we want to, what we want to do is we want to trust ourselves. But I did this and I did this and I did this and I did this and I did this. And it's not about what I did. It's about what Jesus did. And it's about am I willing to bow my knee and walk in relationship with him as Lord in a way that is so authentic that it's transformational. Because what it boils down to is my faith and trust is in him, not in me. But I, 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 and, and, and the true disciple bows his knee and just says, no, Jesus, you. In a way that so acknowledges and so aware of who Jesus is that it changes who we are. And then my very will over time and in a process of being matured it is fashioned and formed in a way that I do the will of the Father because my will, because I begin to look like Jesus. That's what it's about. A fully transformative relationship. And that's not done without faith, without believing that Jesus was who he said he was, who he knew he was. And it's tough. Many will say to me, I mean, if I were God, I'd have a few token people that went to hell just to prove I meant what I said, but most everybody would come with me. Right? I know I'm not the only ones ever thought that way. I mean, come on, Jesus. We want a lot of people to come. Make it easy for them. Why why is the narrow way God? Narrow, that's a terrible name for it. (laughs) Let's get some PR people here. Let's work this up a little bit. Broadway. No, no, let's call it congested. Let's not say me. Traffic. And the scenic way. Jesus is straight up honest. So don't you know, it's going to cost you everything. At the end of the day, you've got to give it all to Jesus. He's very clear. And it's going to be hard at times. You're going to have to die to self. Your pride's going to be wounded. People are going to say bad things about you. People are going to think bad things about you. It's not always going to be fun. I just want you to know it's always going to be worth it. Simply declaring Jesus as Lord is not enough, even if asserted emphatically. Neither is engaging in all these wonderful spiritual, religious-looking activities. And I just want to say it's not that those things are wrong. They're just not enough. Man, we get into our Christianity and we sit and we get tired. And we make our list. But God, I did this and did this and I've done this and I'm doing this and I've got this. Me, and you can fill in all the thises. You know what they are. They're coming to your mind right now. And we sit down and we go, what more do you want from me? And it's like God's going back and he's saying, 
what more you got left? Because all that stuff, that's nothing. I don't need that. Like, I need you to prophesy. I know what's going on. I don't need you to encourage this person. I made them. Thanks for casting out the demons, because really, no, I got that covered too. So you did all this stuff for me, but you don't know me. What more do I want from you? I want you. I don't want you to do anything. I created it all. I don't need you to give me anything. I don't need you to do anything. I don't need you to say anything. I just want you to walk in relationship with me. I'm going to be real honest. It doesn't stop there. I just want you to know, if you say yes to that, you're saying yes to a transformative relationship or you're not saying yes. When he says, I want you, it doesn't mean that we get to do what we want to do, but we have Jesus with us now. When he says, I want you, what he means is, we're going my way. And we're going to do my thing my way for me. Because Jesus has a very accurate understanding of who he is. He thinks it's all about him. And he's right. It is not about you. It's about him. It's about exalting his name. And it's about lifting him high. And he's going to draw others to him. Well, but Casey, what about this? Well, yeah, what about the fruit? And, and what about all those things? And, and I'm wearing the hole out here that says changing what you do doesn't change who you are. But when there's a change in who you are, when there's a relationship that transformationally changes who you are, you cannot help but to bear fruit. And then you're going to give and serve and prophesy and do all of these things, not out of a place of I, but out of a place of him. And it's important that we do all those things out of this place of changing of who we are. It's important because those are the fruit. Those are the, 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 the evidence of grace, the, the work of obedience. It's, the, the, it's, it's changing us and it's, it's, it's perfecting us. Those things are super important, but they've got to be done from a transformational relationship. What a terrible thing. Just to be clear, that day is the day of judgment. So make sure we're all on that page. It's not the country, you know, when did I take that trip with the kids? Oh, the other day. Some sort of vague nebulous, we're not really sure it actually happened the other day. That day is a very definite time that is going to happen. Earlier I said, refer to people who have not yet bowed their knee. (laughs) See, here's the deal. Every knee will bow. It's just do we do it with our own free will in a manner that leads to a transformation of everything that we are and everything that we do, or do we not? Do we do it now? Or do we do it on that day? But I'm just here to tell you, that day is a terrible day if you went the wrong way. But what a great day it is when we followed hard after our Jesus. See, we read this in the negative, right? 
because it's presented that way, then I will plainly tell them, I never knew you away from me, you evildoers. He says that to the people who have not done the will of the Father. But you know what that means? (laughs) It means he says something to the people who did the will of the Father. He says something to the people who bowed their knee, who bent their will, who acknowledged him in a transformational way, who walked out with fruit and evidence of righteousness in their life, not because it was about them, but because it was about Jesus, not from what they had done, but from what he had done. To the people who, who had done the will of the Father, do you know what he says to them? He says, come with me. I know you. What? As horrible and terrible as the concept of being told by Jesus, I never knew you. So much more amazing and delightful and wonderful is even the thought of the glimpse of the idea of the possibility of the king of the world saying to you, come with me, I know you. I mean, think about it. When you're in a crowd, you're, you're trying to figure out a baseball game and, or you're somewhere and you're try, you'd never been there before and you're not sure where to go and you're trying to get to this place and there's just confusion and you're lost and all of a sudden your dad comes up and he sees you and he grabs your hand and the security guard's like, what are you doing? He goes, it's okay. I know them. He's with me. Can you just go there in your mind for a minute? Now, what you think about that? surrounded by chaos and confusion and death and you know what's coming and all of a sudden Jesus looks down and says it's okay I know him he's with me whether or not we're known by Jesus that day is coming we don't get a choice to not believe it and think it won't happen And the fact that that other people are going the wrong way doesn't mean that that way leads to something other than that day. To know describes knowledge that one gains through direct personal involvement and experience. It's not just Jesus saying, I checked their ID. I know their name. I know where they were born. He does. But it's Jesus saying, I know them. I have a deep, personal, experiential, transformational relationship with him, with her. I know them. They're with me. Worship team, would you come back? Man, Jesus doesn't say, depart from me. Your prophecies were 82% accurate, 84% is the cutoff. Jesus doesn't say, I've done a calculation. Surprise to you, we're supposed to tithe on the gross, not the net. You come in at 5.4%. I gave a little grace to 9%. You're out of here. He doesn't come back and say, you didn't put a fish on your bumper sticker. He doesn't come back and say, I've reviewed your voting record. He doesn't come back and say any of those things. He comes and says, did I know you or not know you? Now, to be super clear, all of those things I talk about, there's going to be some changes in that that will flow out of your knowing him. So let's us not kid ourselves and say, oh, I know Jesus. 
Oh, really? For someone who claims to know Jesus, you don't look, sound, or smell, or act anything like him. It's a truth intention. Looking and acting and smelling a certain way is not going to change who you are. But if we change who we are, there will be a change in the way we vote and give and serve and all of these things. It's going to happen. And, and, and we go back to those questions. I would just invite ourselves to do a little fruit check. To do a little fruit check. Look at your life. And we look around, and if we see no fruit, we should ask ourselves some very important questions. And better we answer those questions now than on that day. And as you ask yourself those questions, the Holy Spirit is here to drive you further into Jesus, not further into yourself. And if asking those questions brings conviction, then awesome, repent, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. But if asking those questions brings condemnation, then you're being asked in the wrong spirit. It's not the spirit of God that's asking you those questions. Don't answer to your flesh by your flesh. Answer to Jesus. I'm going to end with this. There's a book I hate. I hate lots of books. Most of them in the Bible hate them. I read them. They challenge my flesh, keep me up at night, make me ask hard things and do hard things. I got books about marriage and parenting that do the same thing. And then I got to read books about church life and regular life. And it's all this truth. My flesh hates truth. Hate it. But boy, I'd rather know the truth now than find out the truth later. It's the big giant celestial wet paint in the sky, right? Oh, the bench says wet paint. I don't believe it. You sit down and you got paint all over you. Just telling you, whether you believe it or not, truth is truth. So I read this book. I read it on vacation. Uh, Kara read it in a half a day. It took me two days. This is not because I paid more attention. I just tell you that. But I got done, and I asked myself a lot of these questions. And primarily, I looked at Kara and said, I'm not so sure I'm saved. How about you? (laughs) And some of you are wondering, was I referring to her or me? Yes. She said, why do, I think, why do you think I gave you this book to read? And it challenged me so deeply, and I hated it so much, I've been waiting for an opportunity to share it with you. <laughs> because it's truth. Jared Boyd, our youth pastor, young adults pastor, doer of many and all things, on May the 10th, 2020, preached a sermon called a friend like Jesus. May 10th, 2020. It's, uh, I know for sure that it's available um, in the podcast because I found it. I said, Jared, hey, is this when you shared this and this and this? He goes, I have no idea. Which means it was probably the Lord because if it was all Jared, he would remember. But it's truth. And he talks about being a fan or a friend. And in the book I'm referring to is by Kyle uh, Edelman, Edelman called Not a Fan. And it talks about being a fan or being a follower. See, a fan says, Lord, Lord, but a fan doesn't live, Lord, Lord. And he comes up with five things to diagnose fandom. Five ways that you'll know that you're all about Jesus and all the ways that don't matter. Five ways to know that your life says, Lord, Lord, in what you say, but your heart's not bowed and the fruit's not there. So I'm just going to throw these out there just as a way of concluding. 
Number one, many have made a decision to believe in Jesus without making a commitment to follow Jesus. Do you just believe or do you follow? The second, are you more focused on the outside or the inside? See previous three chapters of Matthew. Are you self-empowered or spirit-filled? See, fans are self-empowered. They work it up. Followers are spirit-filled. The fourth, the problem is that you can have knowledge without having intimacy. In fact, knowledge can be a false indicator of intimacy. Clearly, where there is intimacy, there should be a growing knowledge, but too often there is knowledge without a growing intimacy. Said this way, fans know a lot about Jesus, but they don't know him. Because you can't know him. You can't know him without being transformed by him. And if we're not being transformed by him, then we don't know him. Even though we know a lot about him, if we're not changed by him, we don't know him. And finally, is Jesus one of many or is your one and only? Is Jesus one of many or is he your one and only? There's four very specific questions I want you to think about. What, for what do you sacrifice your money? When you're hurt, where do you go for comfort? What really disappoints and frustrates you? And what really gets you excited? Now listen, I know, I know because I've been there like on vacation at the beach and at my house this week. It's, it, it, can be, it can be heavy to have these thoughts and to think about these things. And, and I'm not here to put a weight or a burden on you. And Jesus' teaching isn't here to put a weight or a burden on us. It's simply here to say, that what's the, what are the two things that we've talked about, the message that's going through this conclusion? Number one, you have a choice about number two, who is Jesus? Just making it real clear. You have a choice about who is Jesus. And this place of like, do I really know Jesus if, if we don't? If we just don't, like you get to the like listen, if you get there and you're like, Casey, like I know a lot about him and, I, and I've said the prayers and I've done the things, but like when you're talking about this transformational relationship, I really don't, I think you've lost your mind. I just don't get it. Like if you if you don't, if there's not something in you that longs for that and gets that, but but yet you hear like I, I, I don't get it, but I want to. Today is the day. And it's not about how bad you are or what you've done. It's about how great God is and what he's done. So it should, like, if it's going to be heavy for anybody, it's heavy for the people in the room that don't know Jesus. And it's not heavy for you. This is not me telling you that you're going to hell. This is me telling you that you don't have to. Right? I, I, the freedom in that. 
And then for those of us who are like, I think I know God. I'm not like this. What a moment to look at our Savior face to face and say, listen, I want nothing more than to be like you. Show to me places in my heart that I have tried to hold on to, that I've resisted transformation. And and Holy Spirit, give me the strength and the power and the wisdom and the grace to let those go because I want to go complete. I'm all in. Like, this is not heavy for you. If you're not all in, like, if you're not sure, like, what an opportunity to, to know. This is not heavy for you. This is an opportunity. And then, then you get to the end, and you're like, Casey, listen, like, this is tough. But, but, but in worship, and as you speak, like, I, I see Jesus looking at me, and I know him, and I just feel him saying, I know you, and like, get, like, I'm not perfect, but I'm being perfected. What an opportunity to worship Jesus and just to say, I am known by God. This is amazing. So no matter which of these three places you find yourself, any heaviness that you would be feeling is not from the Holy Spirit. It's significant. It's weighty. It's real. But it's not heavy. It's not burdensome. It's not weigh you down. It's set you free. These are words of Jesus that come to set us free. Man, how great that it's not about you. How awful would it have been for Jesus to list the 200 things you had to accomplish to get in the kingdom? If you look at what it requires to be like Jesus, we can't do it on our own. You know what heavy is? Heavy is a list of 200 things you have to accomplish on your own before you die, and you don't know when that's going to be. Good luck. Go get it. That's heavy. Heavy is about what you're going to do to save yourself. Freedom is about what God has already done. And about how great he is. And I think at the end of the day, it's an opportunity to fall on our face and say, Jesus, with my free will, with the choice that you have clearly given me, I choose you as the Christ. I don't say to you, Lord, Lord, as a title. You're not just the Lord, Lord. You are mine. And I acknowledge you with everything that is in me. Come and transform my life. I don't want to look like me anymore. I want to look like you. You have my full permission to come. I acknowledge who you are. Come and have your way in me. Thanks for listening to this week's podcast. Please join us online at heritagefellowship.us or in person in Jefferson City, Tennessee as we encounter God, touch lives, and impact nations.